Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on Donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. It's Anushka Fernandopoli, and I think I last came here in November, uh, around election time. Uh, and I live in the neighborhood, and also uh, teach at a LGBT group that meets at the LGBT Center on Monday nights, and... Uh, I've been teaching at San Francisco Insight these last few months, um, subbing for Eugene while he's been recovering, and also teach at East Bay Meditation Center. I'm teaching a class on the four foundations of mindfulness on four Mondays starting next Monday, which any of you are invited to come to if you like to. And I'm on the Spirit Rock Teacher Council also, which is how I happen to be here, because I happened to be sitting next to Howie last week, and he said, hey, are you free on Tuesday? So, here I am. So I think the last time that I was here, I talked about the um, elections, and we talked about politics. And uh, this time I have something a little bit more classical, old school prepared for you which is about the Buddha's recommendations of five daily recollections that we could all do. So these are the five facts that one should reflect on often, whatever one's gender, whether lay or ordained. Which five? So I'll go through each of them and also give you a little commentary about them, and then we can discuss them at the end. And they get progressively more intense, I will warn you. So the first one, I am subject to aging. I have not gone beyond aging. So the, the Dharma itself is the teachings about the way things are. So one of the translations of Dharma could be about nature and understanding what is actually true about the way things are. So one of the dimensions of this is that we as animals, as physical embodied beings, are subject to the same laws that all other animals and plants and objects are in this world. So this includes aging. So sometimes you pick up on this. Now we we have like birthday celebrations that kind of cause you to take note of this and fill in the number differently on forms the next year about how old you are, right? So there's some kind of marker going on like that. And it seems like there's a certain period of time at which aging seems like good news, right? Uh, I have some little nieces and um, nephews and they can see how when you're a certain age, it's like you're really stretching for that next number, right? It's like, I'm eight and a half, you know. I'm almost nine, you know. Like, just going for, like, really wanting to get to the next one, right? And then at a certain point, that stops, right? So you usually don't say, you know, I'm 42 and a half, right? <laughs> Usually 42 is just good enough, right? But the aging, it happens all the time, right? And sometimes you see people who you haven't seen for a long time and you notice, like, oh, wow, they've, they've changed. They look older, like more gray hair or, you know, something like that. 
if any of you have gone to some like school reunion, high school reunion, college reunion, then suddenly you see people, you notice like, oh yeah, people are looking older, right? So this, this recollection is actually particularly pointing the finger back at you, right? <laughs> so noticing yourself that I too am of the nature to get older, like I have not gone beyond aging. Now, this is not necessarily bad news, but it is good to notice this. Like, it's good to know this about one's life. So one of the teachings about the human life is that it's actually very precious and rare of all the different kinds of beings one could be uh, embodied as. And the human life is considered a very good place, actually, for awakening, so for realizing the truth. And that's because we have kind of a mix of pleasure and pain. So we have some amount of difficulty, enough to kind of kick us in the pants to keep searching and paying attention. But also it's not actually so hellacious that uh, for most people, not all people, but there's, there's some opportunity to actually have some moments of uh, reflection or investigation about life. Now, this is not true for all humans. Some people actually have lives that are very, very difficult and have no opportunity to actually uh, engage in some kind of spiritual practice or reflection. Right? Um, and some people also don't have the faculties, the mental faculties to do that or physical energy to do that too. So it's good to remember that and to appreciate like one's own life at this particular time, right? that you could do this, that you could even show up tonight. So the second recollection, I am subject to illness. I have not gone beyond illness. So many of you may be familiar with the story of the uh, Buddha's own existential search in which he, uh, as the story goes, went out into the world that he had been protected from for a long time and saw that there was someone who was sick and he saw someone who was old and he saw someone who uh, had passed away, a corpse. And each of these actually gave him pause. They think, like, oh, like, what's it about? You know, gave him some fuel for his investigation. So similarly, this, I am subject to illness. I have not gone beyond illness. So you can reflect with this on your own relationship to health and illness in your physical body. So sometimes we have good health, and sometimes we do not have good health. When we have good health, we often kind of take it for granted. Although sometimes we see someone else who's gotten ill, who's broken an arm or uh, has some kind of um, sickness and we can feel compassion or sometimes we feel sorry for them. Sometimes we reflect back like, oh, that could happen to me. But a lot of times we kind of gloss over that. So when we could um, consider this as consider your relationship to your teeth for a moment. The dharma of your teeth, right? So both of these, uh, aging and illness, actually later death too, uh, related to your teeth. So, you know, teeth, part of your, your mouth, they just grew there. You didn't really do anything to make them come, right? 
But then you actually do have to care for them, right? Like you have to brush them and floss them and whatnot, right? Um, and if you don't, because we eat stuff and also just generally like wear and tear, they start to like decay. So how many people here have any cavities? Yeah. So you know what this is about, right? So the cavities, they, they come, right? Sometimes you can be a really good brusher and flosser and everything, and still the cavities come, right? Uh, so we're subject to this. Like at any given moment in your life, like you could be you know, on your way to tooth decay, right? <laughs> so this is actually... A, uh, awakening to paying attention to your teeth and also you might notice that sometimes you have a, a toothache in one part or one tooth feels um, sensitive to the like cold or hot or something like that or maybe it's a little jagged sometimes you, you piece chips off or something right and at that point then in your in your mouth you, you're constantly touching that tooth with your tongue right like you're constantly going there and noticing it but all the other teeth that are actually okay like you haven't gone to notice those all the time right so we kind of ignore the fact that, uh, you know, we, we ignore our teeth, just like assume they're going to be there. Sometimes we take care of them, and then sometimes they start to hurt, sometimes something happens, and then it's like, oh no, it's a problem, it's, it's here, right? So what good is this reflecting on illness? So one is actually to appreciate our own health, when we do actually have health. And then how are we actually spending our time? So most people probably have cell phones these days, right? With your cell phone, you know, like you have your cell phone and then the battery starts to go down on it. And then like every day, every couple days, you have to recharge it, right? Or the thing dies. And then after a certain number of um, charges in the battery, maybe several years, right, the battery itself might die. So this is like the inanimate object. Actually, our human organic systems have something like this too. So we take in food and we uh, expel waste and uh, we get energy to live another day, right? But the days are actually not infinite. Yeah. Even when we're paying attention to our breath, you know, during this uh, sitting, it's like you kind of pay attention to your breath, but it's not like usually with a certain intensity, like this could be my last breath, right? Like I don't know if I'll leave this room, right? Uh, so it's not to get all like over dramatic about it in that way, right? Um, but actually, what would it be like if we actually paid attention as if this could be our last breath? You know? Like what would it be like if we actually paid attention to the people who we were with, so our family, to our coworkers, to our colleagues, right? As if we didn't know if we would see them again. So occasionally someone who's a, a friend who moves away or... Um, family who live in another part of the country or something, when you see them and when you depart from them, it's very meaningful and you actually you know, say what you want to say, you pay attention to them. Right? So it's like this with our life too. Like we actually don't know uh, what the story is. We don't know when that our health is going to end. We're, we're subject to this sickness at all possible times. As is everyone else. So I'm of the, the nature to get sick, I have not gone beyond sickness. So leading us up to number three, you see where this is going. I am subject to death. I have not gone beyond death. So in the uh, Mahabharata, it's a Hindu epic from India, 
one of the, the stanzas in it is that one of the most wondrous things in the world is that people see others dying all around them and they never think it will happen to them. Right? So we don't reflect on our own death very much. Right? You know, in the newspaper there's that obituary page, right? like all the time. So people are dying. There's someone listed there all the time. Right? And maybe if people in your family die or close people to you to die, right? which can be very painful and difficult. But it's rare that we actually reflect on the fact that we ourselves are going to die. Only death is certain. The time of death and the method of death is uncertain. It's a mystery, right? It's like a mystery uh, for all of us. I remember my... um, Father told me at one point that he was going to make a family tree uh, and write down not just the dates of the people's lives, how they were born, you know, when they were born and when they died and where, but also how they died. Uh, so he hasn't actually written this down yet, but we started to talk about it, and it was actually very interesting. You know, it was very interesting. Like maybe there were more different ways to die, <laughs> or it seemed like it from my families uh, past that uh, were more unusual in, you know, Sri Lanka in the past. Like, uh, like you don't get so many people in San Francisco who get, like, gored by bulls and die, right? Uh, but I guess there's different ways now, like, uh, you know, that people would get uh, in plane crashes or something. That didn't happen in the past, right? Um, but anyway, when you look at this, you know, list of these different people in their lives and how they died, none of them would probably have predicted that. This is how I'm going to die, right? Or even the age of how they're going to die, when they're going to die. So I have one um, grandmother who's uh, living, my last grandparent, who just turned um, 90 uh, last week. And uh, her husband, my grandfather, died when he was uh, 59. And so she was 52, so almost 40 years uh, she's lived uh, without him. And also completely unknown. You know, when they got married, they were both quite young. They had four children. They actually had a very interesting life. They lived in... uh, My grandfather worked for the United Nations, so they went to different countries. They lived all over the world. And then this is how it turned out, right? He died quite young, and she's lived till 90. She just had a birthday party with chocolate cake and candles and... uh, Maybe that will be you, but maybe not, right? We don't know. It's good to check in your mind, what are my assumptions about my life, you know? And maybe some people have assumption, like, oh, I'm going to die young. But maybe you have an assumption, like, oh, I'm going to live till this long, ripe age. But what would it be like if we actually held that in mind, that we're going to die, that our life is limited, so it seems like there would be less taking for granted that would happen of everything, right? even of mundane things. Like it could be your last burrito, right? You want to really taste it. You want to really be there with it. Right? Your last sunset. Right? Your last shower. So again, it's not to you know create an over dramatic uh, you know sense of 
your life, but actually to live with this sense of not knowing in a, in a positive, beautiful way. So I think it was Carlos Castaneda who said to uh, live with uh, death as your advisor on your shoulder. So what really matters? What's really important? Like, what's it worth fighting about? And most importantly, how do I want to spend my time? So in another uh, quote from the Buddha, he says, the days and nights are relentlessly passing. How are you spending your time? Number four of the recollections. I'll read this translation. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing to me, will change and vanish. So I told you it got more intense as we go along. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing to me, will change and vanish. So, now this is just uh, kind of a corollary to that piece about impermanence. Right, that everything is always changing. So it could be that you vanish first, or it could be that it vanishes first, or they vanish first. But either way, it's not like they're going to stay permanently in the same relationship to you. So this goes for people in your life. This goes for beloved pets. This goes for beloved possessions. This goes for your body, back to the first three. This goes for your apartment, your favorite bicycle, your favorite shirt, right, on and on. So actually think for a moment, like, well, what are are my favorite things, beloved and pleasing to me? And let yourself be really honest with yourself, right? It's fine if it's a mug or, you know, something, that's fine, right? Whatever it is, you know, you really love this thing. So the reflection is actually that this thing itself will change and vanish. So will pass away. Or your loved ones too. So like I described with my grandmother and grandfather, if you have a partner you love, right? Uh, so occasionally people will die at the exact same time, right, in the same way. But usually one person will predecease the other, right, if you stay together long enough to pass away, right. Or people change and grow in different ways, different things happen. Even children, right, constantly changing. You can't keep them in one age. And there's something beautiful about that too, So if we can actually relate to them as they are arising newly, then there's actually something very beautiful about that. So I was mentioning I have some nieces and nephews, and uh, a lot of them I don't see that often. I see every few months, or some a couple times a year or once a year. So when kids are young, it's like each time you see them, you really have to re-relate to, like, where are they? You know, like, like, what can they do now, you know? Uh, like what can they understand? Who can take care of their own bodily needs now? You know, who needs help still, right? Uh, and it's really interesting, actually, to to find that out and to try to relate to them in that way. 
So it's more obvious with children, but it's actually true of everything and everyone, too. So because everything is always changing, your relationship to everything can be actually new if we relate to it freshly, like just to see, like, oh, who's this here now? Like, what is this here now? And also with this, it will change and vanish, is to understand it won't be here forever. So again, to make us actually appreciate what's actually here in the moment. So we usually uh, appreciate things and people after they're gone. So after people die, then uh, at funerals, people say very nice things about them. So I've accepted the story of Tom Sawyer where he faked his funeral so he could actually hear the nice things, you know that people said about him. It's actually a shame, right? We don't get to uh, know that, and we don't get to share that. So what do we actually appreciate uh, about others? And maybe we can actually share that with each other, you know. So all that is mine, beloved and pleasing to me, will change and vanish. So this is also uh, to orient us towards the truth of impermanence, and also around uh, dukkha, so because everything is changing, when we try to hold on to things that are impermanent, we suffer. It makes sense. Right? If you try to hold on to smoke rings, if you try to hold on to flowing water, and if you get upset that it's gone, that's dukkha, that's strain, stress, suffering. So sometimes people hear this and then they they think, well, okay, so that means that I shouldn't like anything or I shouldn't have a relationship with with anything. Like I should just distance myself from everything because everything's going to change and vanish after all. So that's actually not the point of it. I remember a a student came to me and said, you know, so it seems like I shouldn't be in, I shouldn't have a relationship with someone else because basically we're going to change and it's going to disintegrate and, you know, basically all the stuff that I just said prior, right? right? So I said, but that's true of everything, right? Like your shirt and your pants are going to disintegrate, but that doesn't mean don't wear a shirt and pants, right? Like actually just know that that's true about them. So if you actually know that that's true about something and you're able to live with it, be in relationship with it anyway then there's actually no problem. So then you're actually able to be in relationship with this. In fact, arguably be in a better, truer relationship with objects and people. Because you know the truth that actually everything will change and vanish and disappear. So it's good to pay attention. It's good to be real. In fact, there's no point doing anything else. It's good to appreciate your favorite mug because it's going to break. All right. And so on to number five. So this one is a bit, maybe requires the most explanation, a bit cryptic. I am owner of my karma, heir to my karma, born of my karma, related to my karma. I abide supported by my karma. Whatever actions I do, 
whether wholesome or unwholesome, of that I shall be the heir. So this one is pointing to the teachings around cause and effect, which is part of the uh, understanding of uh, right view. It's a very important part of the Buddha's teachings. So this is that the intentions behind our actions actually create the seeds, plant the seeds for what can arise in the future. So you are the owner, the heir, born of them, related to them, and have them. Another translation I've heard is have them as my inheritance. So you consider this, like you think, like, oh, what's my inheritance? Yeah, what, what am I heir to? So you might think of your family members and think like, oh, who's going to give me what when they die? And, you know, maybe I'll get that car. Maybe I'll get this thing, right? Maybe my relatives will leave me some money. Or if they don't have money, they'll leave me some other thing to remember them by. So that's kind of the traditional idea of heir. Or like in the royal family, it's like who's heir to the throne, right? So poor Prince Charles has been waiting around for a long time, right? Heir to the throne, his mother's lived a long time. (laughs) So again, like no guarantees, you're going to get to be king, right? But karma, that you are the true heir to. And in fact, no one can take that away from you. So this is what this means, this abide by my karma, supported by my karma. So that which was the actions, that which were the actions uh, taken in the past have planted seeds, which then under different causes and conditions will ripen today. So what's the lesson from this one, besides just scaring you, right? So the, the point of this, uh, this thing with understanding cause and effect is basically that you, know, you can't do anything about the past and you can't actually do anything about the quote-unquote future except in the present. So again, this is directing our attention to being present. So to actually being aware of the actions that we take, the speech that we take, and what are the intentions behind that. So every time that we speak or act, we're actually planting a seed. And it could be wholesome, it could be unwholesome. So it could be driven by greed, by hatred, by ignorance, by jealousy, right? Unwholesome. Or it could be driven by compassion, generosity, kindness, courage, wisdom, wholesome. So that's what this is directing us to, is actually paying more attention. So understanding the real actual seriousness about cause and effect, this law of cause and effect, and then learning about this, understanding how we can live in alignment with this. So this is called like mundane right view, understanding this cause and effect. So these five recollections are actually done in many uh, Buddhist monasteries every day. So this is actually a different use of the mind than... uh, the way that we do meditation here. So in meditation here, we're practicing mindfulness. So mindfulness is using awareness and actually not using the thinking mind 
except noticing when thought arises. So noticing thought as a process, so to speak, but not engaging in the content. Now if you do these recollections, it actually is using thought itself and using your thinking mind in a skillful way to try to orient yourself towards the truth. So if you want to actually do them, and you can actually find these online too, like if you look up five daily recollections, Buddha, like something like this will pop up. Right? So if you actually want to do these, I would recommend that you kind of sit, kind of like settle yourself a little bit so you're not kind of as much, you know, scattered. And then actually kind of drop each of these in to your mind. So say the reflection to yourself and then just kind of let it sit there and see what arises for you. And then work with that. So if it's fear, okay, right? If you feel like, you know, you're saying this like, I am subject to death, I've not gone beyond death. And it feels like you're not taking it in. You know, it looks like you're like brick walling against it. Then sometimes you can reflect more around that. So reflect on the fact that everyone has died in the past so that it's likely to happen to you. You can be creative about it too. So, um, for example, if you think about some old movie that you've watched that you really enjoyed, like say, like Gone with the Wind or, I don't know, some other old movie... If you just think about it, all of the actors and actresses in that movie have died. All of the people who directed that movie and produced the movie have died. All the people who uh, did the camera work and did the scenery right, also died. Right? Now you have to pick an old enough movie that this works for, right? Uh, but actually you can reflect on this. It's like, oh yeah, okay. That's true. So you can drop each of these in, see what happens. If not, you can kind of reflect more on it each time. Right? Also, you can just take up one of these that seems to be particularly interesting to you or that seems to be particularly not interesting to you, that you seem particularly like uh, resistant to. And just take it up as a reflection in your daily life too. So notice, for example, as you're walking around, uh, illness. Like, notice others who are sick, and each time that you do, reflect back to yourself. Notice even animals that are sick. Notice, like, the little pigeon who has a broken wing, right? Reflect, like, yes, I'm too subject to that kind of thing. So different creative ways to work with this that you could play with, but uh, I encourage you to bring this into your practice uh, in some way. So I'll stop there and see if anyone has any questions or comments. Yeah, so the uh, the question was uh, having some trouble with the one that says um, everything that is 
dear and appealing to me will vanish, right? So yeah, there's a, there's a matter of translation with some of these. And, and so she's saying that um, her understanding was that everything changes, but nothing really vanishes per se. And that's true in, in a certain way, right? So there are different translations of these. And um, I think vanish is one of the ones that's supposed to be like slap you awake with it. You know, like it, it will seem to vanish to us. Right, like if something breaks, then it seems to vanish. Or if someone dies, they seem to vanish. But uh, other translations are like, um, here's one. One is that I will grow different and separate from all that is dear and appealing to me. So that's like some similar version of that. Uh, so yeah, I think if, if vanish doesn't exactly work for you, uh, change is also good. Although it's trying to get you to really wake up to the fact that change and then also in our perceived relationship, like actually there will be an end. Which doesn't mean that the thing itself has completely vanished, but actually in our relationship to it, it will have. So say like your favorite um, mug, for example. We'll go back to that. So it breaks and then... You know, if you really love it, maybe you make a little shrine to it, but probably you throw it away or something, right? Uh, and then it seems to have vanished, but actually it's going through its own process of getting, you know, ground up by the recology trucks and then getting tossed on the pile in South San Francisco and then turning into dust and then going back in the ground. So it hasn't actually vanished per se, right? But to us, it kind of has vanished, right? That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, so the question about the fifth one, so how do you use that in daily practice? Right. So one of the things with this fifth one is kind of like, well, what's your relationship to this term karma? So karma actually means intentional action. And uh, this one's kind of one of the harder ones to grasp, I would say, depending on uh, what your relationship is, even is to this teaching of sort of cause and effect. So it could be one to just hold as sort of a open... Uh, an open possibility if you feel like I don't really know what that means or I don't see that working, right? And when one to just inquire into in terms of cause and effect, right? Uh, into what you see as cause and effect in your own mind. And there's many different levels to this. Like, actually, we could talk for kind of a long time about this topic of cause and effect, right? Um, but you can just try and notice in your own mind, like, what is the, the cause and effect that, that you see happening, both internally and externally, from actions that you take, right? Now, sometimes it's easier to reflect from other people, you know. <laughs> it's easier for us to notice, like, oh, that person is really cranky all the time, and thus, this is how people deal with them, right? Or something like that, cause and effect. But it's harder for us to notice that about ourselves sometimes. Um, the, the, actually, the reflection on karma itself is um, one of the reflections around equanimity. So it actually is supposed to also help develop this sense of balance. Uh, so this, the fifth reflection is one of the um, contemplations and actually meditation practices that's used to develop the state of equanimity too. Uh, and equanimity is actually balance in the face of uh, changing conditions. Right? So in the face of changing conditions... 
it's basically like, well, what can I do about that? So as you notice more and more that, oh, things are always changing, things are out of my control. So where is, where if anywhere, is the place for, you know, me to have some agency? So th- that's really what this is pointing to also is around like, this is the one place is actually in paying attention to intentions before speaking and acting. Right? So that's kind of the direction to it. So that's also another way you can work with it is trying to is trying to put some effort into doing that actually to trying to notice before you speak and act like oh what's what's actually here in my mind and heart what's actually driving me in this right so tuning into that more and more right yeah cool all right one more and then we gotta stop it. So that things vanish often lead you to a sense of loss. It's true, isn't it? <laughs> so what's your take on that? So I think if if there's loss in our life and we have a sense of grief or um, sadness about it, then the way to work with that is to know that and actually to allow yourself to feel that. So I think not to like try and um, spiritually strategize yourself out of your sadness. You know, <laughs> like I shouldn't be sad about this, even if it is something like your favorite mug. You know, <laughs> I mean, just notice your acute grief at the destruction of your favorite mug, right? A little bit have a sense of humor about this, but actually really notice and, you know, your attachment to this. And here's the lesson. It's like, there was an attachment and the attachment is based on this idea that like, oh, this could last forever. Me and the mug going off into the sunset together, you know? Like, like this is secretly in your mind is that that's how it's going to play out, right? We'll be buried together or whatever, right? Um, and it doesn't turn out to be true and it's disappointing, so it's whenever there's an idea in our mind about how things are going to be, and we, we actually believe in that, and then we get disappointed, right? There's a sense of loss, grief, something like that. So it is theoretically possible for us to know that uh, something is going to break or fall apart and still actually enjoy it, and then when it breaks or fall apart, because we knew that was going to happen, it's actually okay. So you can think about it on maybe a, a smaller level, like... Um, you know, kids make houses out of, like, bricks or maybe make card houses. And uh, as a grown-up, you know, like, card houses, they always fall down eventually, right? Um, so you can make them, and it's kind of cool how they balance, and, you know, you can make them really elaborate and stack them up and all that. And actually one of the more uh, cool things about card houses is how ephemeral they are, right? Like how they can be there for a moment, you know, and you know they're kind of defying gravity and wind and all this stuff, and still they're there for a moment, right? But then you also know that, like, the dog will walk by and the tail will knock it, or the wind, or someone will open a window, and then it's going to fall down, right? So when it falls down, for most adults, like, you don't have to have a giant fit about it, right? It's just like, oh, okay, that was kind of cool what was there, and now it's gone. So then you clean up the cards and you make another one, or you do something else, Right? But when you're a little kid, you don't know that. And the first, you know, times that 
you build a car house and it falls down, it's like devastating, right? And then maybe you're like really mad at your brother or sister who came by and knocked it down and you blame them, you know, or, uh, you know, you're really uh, upset at the dog or, you know, whatever, right? It's just like really, really upsetting. And then you have to kind of cope with that and your relationship to building card houses. Are you going to try it again or not? Anyway, I'm playing this out, but you see what I mean, right? Like, so as an adult, you know, like you can do certain things and then, you know, it's just temporary and then it's over, it's over, right? And as an adult, also, there's some things we don't know that about. There's a lot of things we don't know that about. And so just notice when those things happen, right? Like, notice your sense of surprise when something changes or when something falls apart, whether it's a bicycle or a relationship or a souffle or, you know, anything that in some secret, undetected way we thought was going to be perfect forever, right? And then also notice and allow yourself to feel that sense of sadness or loss, Now, equally good, I think, is to notice when something changes and you're actually okay with it. There's actually a sense of balance about it, right? Because that's where you've actually learned, like you actually have integrated the way things are. So so I think noticing both sides of that is uh, helpful, too. So, everything changes and vanishes, so our group is time to change and vanish now. Come to the end of our time. So we'll just sit together for a moment. And we actually can appreciate the beauty of this group. How tonight, in this particular way, this configuration of people has come together. All manner of things could have kept any of us from showing up here health or circumstance or and here we are and it's a rare and beautiful thing so appreciating your own good intentions of coming and of doing the practice your own intentions to be awake to be kind to be wise share the blessings from our wholesome activity here with everyone here and with all beings May all beings be peaceful and happy. May all beings be strong and healthy. May all beings be safe. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you for your attention. Thank you, Anushka. It's always nice to have you come and take the seat. I have an announcement. Um, Thank you all for coming to Mission Dharma. Our Sangha wouldn't happen without your support and your presence and your practice. And at this point, point, we ask for a practice of dana in order to keep our sangha going. We pay $150 a week for rental of this space, and so we ask if there's any 
generosity you can offer. We have a basket over on the bench by the organ or on the organ bench for your Donna that will help support the room rental. And we also ask um, anyone who takes a seat and provides teaching and um, brings the, the Dharma so beautifully to us, we ask that you support the teacher through Donna as well. And that can also go in the basket. We also have... Um, an arrangement with the church if you would like to write a, a check to St. John the Evangelist Church and on the memo line put Mission Dharma, that amount that you give would be tax deductible to you. And we also have a, a button on our webpage for PayPal, Donna, if you would like to give tomorrow. So thank you so much for your practice and uh, any help moving the chairs, the last couple rows can be stacked up the first row gets stacked up and then the aisle gets widened the chairs get pushed to the columns and cushions help is always appreciated so thanks so much and see you next week Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.